0: All right, Um, I just want to introduce our theme for the summer. We are going to be talking about compassion over the next five weeks and uh, when we're on Zoom together. Um, And we're going to have just compassion as our focus. We are going to talk to six different people who have compassion at the center of what they do for work. And a care and concern for other people is like an important part of what they do in their everyday. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from them. We're going to hear from Megan and Hugh today, which is kind of fun. God is involved in all of our lives and enfolds us in all of it whether we sit at a desk stand by the sink or we're out where other people are the god of compassion is with us and while god is always with us and everywhere in our in our interactions with everybody i think that god especially shows up with those who suffer it's where we find jesus in the stories in the gospels and it's where we find him today so i hope that we as a community will find these next five weeks encouraging inspiring And that these conversations might enlarge our view and reveal God to us over and over and over again. Okay, and over to Eden.
1: So as part of our compassion focus, we're going to have a loving kindness practice uh, each Sunday that we um, are focusing on compassion. And this morning, um, we're going to do this Um, in efforts to extend the compassion of Christ to ourselves and to those around us. Um, We can find it really easy to beat ourselves up, um, to diminish our worth, and to be very unkind to ourselves. We may have even grown up in a faith culture that encouraged us to deny loving kindness to ourselves. We were taught to be selfless, but What was implied by that was that we were meant to be empty of any love for ourselves unfortunately denying ourselves loving kindness does not make us selfless instead it makes us needy and constantly uh, reaching out to others for what is lacking in us but when we have room for loving kindness in our own hearts and receive the loving kindness for our own selves, we then have capacity to show loving kindness to those around us. And this is exactly how we can love our neighbors as ourselves. This practice is about entering into loving kindness in a very concrete way. Um, This may feel a little robotic or stilted to you, But words and messages of loving kindness are powerful and they're a pathway to feeling that loving kindness rise inside of you and take hold. Uh, If you do this during the week, which I would encourage you to, take a few minutes to really let the words resonate inside of you, because they are really powerful even though they are simple. So we're gonna read the four lines of the loving kindness blessing three times, Uh, once for ourselves, once for our circle of family and friends, and once for our neighbors. Um, You might wanna write the blessing down and put it somewhere visible for you through the rest of the week, um, where you might kind of come across it more often and just, just so you can engage with it a few more times. So let's start. You are welcome to either um, read along with me, uh, with your mic muted, or um, just in your head and heart. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe. May I be at peace. Next, we will focus on the people around us, our close family and friends. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at peace. And now we'll focus on our neighbors. Maybe pick one, the difficult one or the different one. You know who I'm talking about. And let's pray this blessing over them. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at peace. Jesus, help us to know the loving kindness you have poured out on us, to experience it deeply, that it would bubble up and over, out of us, to ourselves, to our families, to our friends, and to our neighbors. Amen. And we're just going to go straight into communion. So if you have the elements there, please grab them. This is going to be very brief. Jesus, on the night you were betrayed, you poured out loving kindness on your disciples. You pulled them in close and you shared a meal and asked them to remember you. This morning, Jesus, with our faith family, we together again remember you and your loving kindness in saving us from ourselves, from all the ways we choose to do things that do not reflect you or your loving kindness. We are grateful for your sacrifice, for your body broken, and your blood shed on
0: our behalf. Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone.
2: Welcome here. So I'm going to be speaking this morning and uh, my friend Pam is going to read the passage that that I'm speaking from that's giving us context on compassion for this morning. Thanks, Pam.
3: No problem. I'm reading from Luke 10, verses 25 to 37 in the New International Version. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. On the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense. You may have any extra expense. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the man who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
2: Great. Thank you, Pam. So when I read this passage, I don't know if you have noticed, we've used the words loving kindness this morning, compassion. In this parable, the virtue that's highlighted is mercy. And I wondered how mercy and compassion were related. So Google to the rescue. It actually sent me first thing that came up was Compassion International, which is a world relief organization. And this is what their website said. Mercy and (laughs) compassion are intertwined. Mercy is the fruit of compassion. Mercy is a gift given to someone who is suffering by someone acting with compassion Mercy is a noun in action. When compassion acts to alleviate suffering, it becomes mercy. I think a lot of us are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. It's often uh, labeled in our Bibles. And when I listened to this, I, I read it through a few times and what stood out to me was the role of discomfort That has the potential to move us into action of compassion, be it, or, or I should say, discomfort moves us into action, whether it's positive or negative, discomfort is often this instigating thing within us. So, I thought for today, because we are doing just a brief thought here before we move into our compassion interview, um, I wanted to invite us to just imagine different players in this story and the discomfort that they needed to overcome or maybe failed to overcome and how they interacted with the concepts of mercy and compassion. So, the first discomfort that I was curious about was the man that Jesus was talking with in the story. It kind of was funny to me because Jesus, you know, Jesus. Um, asks him, how do you read it? Which I love that question because we all read it one way or another, don't we? Like there isn't a neutral way to read something. So I love that question. But um, he gives his answer and Jesus is like, yeah, that's it. Two thumbs up. And then the narrator says, then the man felt like he needed to justify himself. He got uncomfortable. And I think what had happened is, is um, there's something about being around Jesus where, where he discomforts those that have power and influence. And I wonder if all of a sudden a person popped into the man's head that discomforted him into looking for an exception or a get out of jail free card. you know? Cause Jesus is always telling these like, even them stories with a yes, even them punchline He's calling people to be more compassionate, more loving and more inclusive. And and this guy is like something in him is feeling uncomfortable. And it's like he wants a way out. And so Jesus is brilliantly going to use story to discomfort him out of beliefs and practices that make life good for him, but not necessarily for others. Because true compassion creates goodness between things, not just good for one person in the equation. And so in some ways, we could put the man who asks the question, the different uh, religious people who crossed the street, and the one who harmed and abused the man and left him for dead, all suffer from a similar problem. They want mercy, goodness, comfort, compassion for themselves, because we all do. We come from God who is good, and of course our hearts are drawn to goodness. The problem is they believe something untrue about how you access the goodness or the amount of goodness that's available or the nature of God's goodness, and they're willing to dehumanize another person to get it. So, you know, that's what the religious rulers are doing. That's um, Human history just shows us that we create systems of power over one another. And to do that, we have to let compassion go, because we have to dehumanize someone to do it. We we elevate a belief, a practice, an attribute that's different from us and say, this matters more than you, your humanity. And our false self or our egos, they have a field day with that. When we're not aware of that, it, it runs the show. It tells us stories about how we should fear them, how we're better than them, how whatever happens to them, they probably deserve. Or we tell ourselves, well, it's not our problem. We wash our hands of our common union, our human experience, and compassion and mercy and loving kindness goes out the window. Their purity, their comfort, their traditions, their perceived lack and needs move them to ease their discomfort through dehumanization. Both action and inaction can dehumanize. And honestly, this challenges me because I'm not immune from Disney princess theology. You know, the kind where either you see yourself in the story as the one being rescued or the one doing the rescuing. But I think it's important, especially when we're in spaces of reimagining, when we're deconstructing and reconstructing what our faith looks like and what we think God is like and what we've learned and what we need to unlearn. We need to have our heart attuned to the discomfort that our egos try and introduce to control the show. They'll encourage us, um, our egos will say, oh, exchange this fundamentalism for that one, or this political party for that one, this bad guy for that one. We have to step out of the game of us and them and in and out, or we end up playing the part of one who sidesteps the call to compassion for others. Now I get this is tricky. Sometimes people require really good boundaries Some people we got to love from a distance, but we say no to harm and no to dehumanizing. We don't have to pick one or the other. Confusing kindness and niceness can cause all sorts of trouble. So I just want to learn to notice my ego. And I hope I feel increasingly uncomfortable when I want to dehumanize someone and excuse myself from compassion. Or maybe you see yourself in the place of the incapacitated or injured person. And it occurred to me that, um, this person kind of had no choice. He had no choice about the injury and it sounds like no choice in being helped. And I was in a really serious car accident when I was in grade eight. I ended up, um, in the hospital for a couple weeks at Children's and and I realized like I had no choice over the harm that happened to me. I had no choice over who helped me. I have no idea who the first responders were that saved my life, that brought me to the hospital in Chilliwack that then transferred me to Children's. And I mean, a lot of us don't have that kind of enemy structure within us that maybe the Samaritans and the Jews had, but Then I wondered what about those times when I don't want to admit that I need help? Where it's obvious to everybody around me that I'm really not doing very well, but I want to not be needy. And, And it's a different kind of needy than Eden was talking about. It's not like I have nothing good in me and everything good has to come from outside of me, that kind of codependency. This is just like being human and needing to be connected to others and giving and receiving from one another. Um, I felt a lot like that with my first babies. You know, I desperately needed help and I felt like I was drowning, but I had somewhere internalized that like I needed to prove myself that I was the mothering type, that I had it all figured out. I wonder if there's places where we have to receive help that we don't really want to admit that we need you know even if we're not the Montagues and the Capulets or historically different social groups what superiority or inferiority do I need to let go of so that I can receive help that I need you know I don't want to bother them or I should be able to do this I got myself into this mess I need to get out of it maybe I was asking for it what if I can't pay it back and I wonder if there are some places that you and I can let the discomfort of receiving show me what I need to let go of so I can receive the healing, the help, and the compassion that I sometimes need. And as I reflected here, I I began thinking about Jesus. And it's really easy to see Jesus kind of in that Samaritan helper healer role. But I also realized there's so many places in the Bible where Jesus models having needs in a really healthy way he was good at receiving. When he was anointed at Bethany, like does God need anointing? Does God need anything? What if God does? What if connection and relationship is something that God needs? What if not having any needs isn't what makes God powerful? Or when Jesus was in his final moments on the cross and he said, I thirst. That's a God who's who's vulnerable and and lets other people meet needs. Is that one of the gifts of compassion that we would have need of one another in our life for our flourishing? What's it like to embrace the vulnerability of need for ourselves? Then there's the hero, or depending on who you were listening to it, the anti-hero of the story, the Good Samaritan. You know we're well versed in the discomfort we assume that he overcame to help the man in the ditch but when i was talking with some friends about this i was reminded of other discomforts that he would have had to overcome he had to overcome geographical discomfort he was nowhere near home or the familiar when when you read in the story that's like nowhere near samaria Maybe he's a little like Wyatt Earp riding into Dodge City. You know, he's got a bit of a death wish being where he is. There isn't anywhere in town that he would be wanted or he would be safe or he would be accepted. And it's kind of astonishing. He would have been an easy scapegoat. Like he could have been blamed for hurting that man because he was an obvious troublemaker. And I also noticed he was willing to cause discomfort to others to bring mercy to this man. He's a Samaritan man in Jewish territory and he goes to an innkeeper and a caretaker and says, I need you to take care of this man. Here's some money. I'll square up with you later. So this innkeeper is someone who probably thought the Samaritans were kind of an enemy. So what kind of discomfort might that have brought up for him that he needs to overcome? Because he kind of becomes an accomplice to the work of compassion being led by the Samaritan. So what's it like to follow someone who you thought that was um, less than and have your world disrupted by their kindness, their sacrifice, their compassion. I want to hope that the innkeeper was actually discomforted and disrupted out of some prejudices that he had. Maybe he was a little kinder to Samaritans in the future, maybe had a Samaritans welcome sign on his inn after that, I mean, I don't know. But I do think it's interesting to see how a radical act of compassion can create this wake or a wave that is wider than the initial act or the person instigating it itself. I wondered where I'm being invited to expand opportunities of compassion like the Samaritan did. He invited the innkeeper to participate in mercy above their differences, their beliefs and their practices. And as far as we know, the innkeeper says yes. And I wonder how that unlikely partnership changed his life. Discomfort is a gift that leads us to compassion. So maybe notice where discomfort shows up this week and of course do it without judgment, right? Like my hope is we will notice when it shows up in our ego, we can just notice it and and make better choices, engage in a new way. Or maybe we need to let discomfort lead us to be better receivers to challenge what we think it means to be needy. Maybe we overcome our discomfort to form partnerships and friendships with people we thought were very unlike us and discover our shared humanity and expanded ability to bring about the mercy and justice of Jesus to the world when we work together. So we're gonna move now, Um, this week we're gonna do an interview with our first people in Compassion Forward Ministries. So I'm gonna welcome Hugh Franklin and Megan Kellington. They both work for Archway Community Services and I am so looking forward to talking to you about how compassion shows up in your jobs and the joys and the challenges that you face with that. So welcome to the main screen, you guys. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Good to have you here. So um, you guys can like figure out who answers what? that I will leave up to you but what area of compassion does your job focus on like are you frontline compassion urgent need personal development we're kind of in the category hierarchy of urgent need compassion where does your archway ministry fit
4: do you want us to talk about like in general or like our specific roles
2: well maybe the in general what where archway fits there and then yeah your specific rules as well that'd be great hit both
4: do you want to start do you want me to start also we're father daughter so (laughs) if you don't know
5: and we're both wearing our t-shirts today
4: oh (laughs) i was wondering if we were going to show up in the same ones
5: (laughs) yeah we've done that before (laughs) i'm just thinking that um we kind of cover frontline help urgent need and ongoing support um and so we we cover a whole gamut of um issues and so the food bank essentially is part of archway and we have our own it almost seems like our own social service within uh the, the greater agency
2: great thank you okay so what kind of um Let's maybe stick you guys, Archway, just so our Abbotsford community knows, it's Archway Community Services. It covers just a very broad range of people helping services. But Megan and Hugh, you both work within the food bank specifically. That's
3: correct.
2: Yeah. And so, what, I mean, what, how does it, how does compassion look in the food bank specifically? Got
4: me to?
5: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you go ahead, love.
2: Um, Well, at the
4: food bank, so yeah, like you were saying, Archway, we basically say is like an umbrella. So it covers everything from food insecurity to multicultural services to uh, mental health support for youth to legal services for people escaping abuse. So it's this big umbrella with like 90 plus programs. And then the food bank, under that, we have all sorts of different programs. Um, So it's almost, we're seeing compassion in different ways. For example, um, we have a free dental clinic because dental is not a service that is covered under general MSP. Um, And like, if you've ever experienced tooth pain, it's like the worst thing you could experience. So um, our coworker Lala oversees this free dental clinic. So She's seeing people who are in immediate pain, who need help right now. Um, And then, like, there's the general food service too, we're providing monthly hampers um, to people. And then dad's program, if you want to talk about home delivery, um, it's mostly senior people. So then that's another demographic of, of people that showing compassion to
1: you. Do
5: you want to talk about that? Yeah, we started to see that there was a bit of a tidal wave um, with uh, seniors uh, that were kind of out of the loop. Uh, Seniors that have come from different uh, cultural backgrounds where they didn't want to, as you said earlier on Karina, um, don't want to put people out. Um, There's also self-preservation, they, there's, there's the shame of needing help um, or perceived shame. And so we started this program for, for seniors that were um, essentially shut off to the community and had no access to food or other helps. So uh, we started off with 24 seniors that we would uh, deliver to uh, on a monthly basis And now we're at 180. And so we have, um, actually your brother-in-law has been, uh, Matt has been wonderful in reaching out to the community and bringing on other partners to to help do the deliveries. And uh, uh, Dave and Grace, part of our community, they, uh, your uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law, they're a part of that too. Um, So it has been exceptional. And the stories, i got hundreds of stories of uh, meeting people where they're at.
2: Uh, I'm curious, just because you mentioned about people um, having like a resistance to needing help. Yeah. Do you have like a two minute story where you've like seen, seen someone shift from, from being resistant to being willing and how that impacted their lives?
5: Meg, or do you want me to share on that one?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think with, with and- seniors. Yeah. yeah, go 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 with the seniors ministry, and then we'll shoot down to Meg for the next next question.
5: Um, uh, I, there there have been several uh, where um, neighbors of certain seniors have contacted us, and you have to be really diplomatic and sensitive too. And so I've been able to uh, visit uh, certain seniors, and so there's. Uh, th- there are several that come to my mind right now um, and uh, conversation starting from um, uh, i 'm not sure if you know that we have in our community this program and it 's confidential and um, uh, we are a community supporting individuals and and families. Um, so starting off with that conversation with, with a few of the seniors where they were resistant to wanting more information uh, and then um, allowing me to come and serve them. Uh, so there are many stories that, that are like that, but it is usually started off with somebody introducing me to that individual first. Uh, because it, it is a very sensitive topic, um, and, and so especially with seniors that one of the one of the biggest issues we 've had is seniors blaming themselves that they 're in this situation, that they didn 't do enough earlier on, or I have found uh, again numerous occasions where seniors have used up all of their assets because they 've been waiting for an operation and there's no savings it comes down to am I going to pay for the rent or am I going to have food and I just don't have a grid for that and so uh, it's just been wonderful when we've been able to come in and serve and they see that we come in in a respectful way not trying to push anything but again to affirm them.
2: Yeah wow I just I just hear like your your heart to bring compassion but in a way that that preserves their dignity like that that it's relational and that it 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 meets their needs but it also like does some really important reassurance in in their hearts and and that is so so important um Megan I wonder if you can people that are involved in compassion forward ministries it's it's kind of like a you're you're in a giving, lots of giving, lots of looking like for needs and how you can meet them. And I wondered if you could share with us what are what are some of the challenges of being in a compassion giving role nine to five, let alone just how life demands compassion of us. But when that becomes your job, what are some of the challenges of that?
4: Mm-hmm i like i absolutely love my job but it is it's not rainbow and sunshine and it's you definitely hit a wall um especially i am an enneagram too so basically i just want to help people all the time
2: and squishy heart
4: i'll have one of the green wristbands next week because i'm like give me all the hugs But so it's definitely difficult when you are coming alongside people who are in constant crisis. Um, There's only so much you can do. Like we only have so many resources. There's only so much so and like, maybe I'll talk about a little bit about the program that I work in. Um, so I coordinate the Starfish Backpack Program. Um, if you don't know what Starfish is, um, it started here in Abbotsford, um, where there's many children and their families that rely on school breakfast and lunch programs um, during the week. But then on the weekend, there was this noticeable gap that students were coming to school hungry on Mondays You're not having the not having food or snacks to bring in their lunches and going without. Um, So it started as like a pilot project about eight years ago in Abbotsford with six backpacks at one school. And now we're doing approximately 300 backpacks to 35 elementary, middle and high schools in Abbotsford. And now it's expanded to 21 cities throughout British Columbia and I think together we're doing like over 2,000 backpacks a week so I oversee everything to do with Abbotsford Starfish but then also I make the menus, do the website, do everything for all of the locations mm-hmm. um, and then also if you ever message us on social media and 99% of the time it'll be me responding because I also do all of the social media stuff. But so with Starfish, um, the main people that I'm in communication with, other than like volunteers and donors and so on, the guests that I'm in contact with is mostly parents. Um, During the school year, we don't know exactly who we're delivering the backpacks to. Basically, um, the principals or youth care workers will just give us... Um, an amount of backpacks and we deliver it to them and then they make sure that it gets to the children who need them. But in the summertime, which is what's coming up right now, what I'm about to do this week is in the summer, because the schools are closed, the parents come to us and that gives me a chance to talk with the parents, to get feedback, to see if there's other ways we can help, which is fantastic. It's one of the best parts of what I do, but then it's also to wind back to what you were saying. It's also so difficult, especially, especially um, being such a like compassion focused person who I just want to like help every single person in every way that I can. And it's just having to come to terms with that. There's only so much I can do. And at the end of the day, it's like, sometimes it's difficult not to take that home with me. Like, I'll be like lying awake at night thinking about like this mom and her situation or this dad and his situation. And like, how can I connect them? So I think that's definitely in nonprofit work or work that's just people based. It's really, that's probably the hardest part about my job is having to just accept that there's only so much. I can do. And you have to set those boundaries as well.
2: Yeah. I'm just hearing you talk about like, because you are in urgent care, you're in a role that's like keeping people alive and hopefully safe until someone that has a different focus of compassion that can maybe help with whatever skills, healing, inner, outer, all these different things. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're kind of always at the brunt of the wave and yeah. I can just hear how important self care for you would be so that you don't get whether that's, you know, the self, the, the environment that you're working in needs to be refueling and your practices at home need to be refueling is there something like i get that that it's there are times when challenges are higher than others in life right like we no we always think we want this but that never happens like this even keel all the time are there practices that help you refuel compassion and then second to that so um, maybe one of you can answer that and then if the, if one of yeah. you can say what are the ways that we as a like as a community, whether it's specifically to like Megan, specifically to Hugh, how can we come alongside you and encourage you, or how can we come alongside the programs that you're doing and and help with that? So personal practice, and then ways that our community, whether specific or broad, can help.
5: Can I start? Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you're right, Karina. Um, uh, compassion fatigue is is real, yeah. and uh, as Megan just communicated, there is very difficult. And so, practices such as uh, as simple as getting to bed on time, um, eating well, uh, having people have your back. Mm. You said earlier on, Karina, that um, uh, sometimes we need people. That are watching out for us because uh, we I would say this would be correct meg when when we're on the front line uh, we're the last ones to look after ourselves yeah uh, and that's not putting us on a pedestal it's just you're in the flow of things um, but unless somebody has you back or is checking in on you it's very easy to just spiral and get overwhelmed so uh, having peers do that debriefing, having times of contemplation. And like I said, finding that that place where you can just fill your cup up. Uh, some, a practice that I've had is, uh, and I share this with the staff, everybody, uh, everybody's got a story. Uh, the folks that come to us, um, which we call our guests, because it's our privilege to serve them. They're not clients, they're our guests. Um, at the end of the day, there's a mat outside, although no, the mat got stolen. But there was a mat <laughs> outside of the food bank.
4: There bed. used to be a mat.
2: There's there used a to hole be a mat. where the mat was. Yeah. There's the so, idea of a mat.
5: Yeah, <laughs> right. So as you exit the building, that you wipe your feet just to remind yourself that I've done the best that I could do today. And I'm going home. I'm leaving. I'm set in that boundary of leaving that behind so that I can go home and be in a safe place where I can fill my cup up.
2: Beautiful. Thank you.
5: Made... Uh-huh. I can't remember what the second part was. It
2: was, it was what, are, what are ways that we as a community, maybe you're okay. like, I would love this personally, or what are ways that our community can be Involved, like, what are opportunities for us to help, um, support, partner, come alongside all those things with what Archway is doing? Hmm.
4: Um. I'm trying to think personally. Um. I find kind of to go along with the last question, um, was that I find the thing that like fills me up is um having like meaningful conversations with people where they don't need something from me because I find it's like,
3: yeah,
4: yeah. At work, it's like people just need things from yeah. me all the time. And then I have a number of close friends who are going through, um, personal things that they need support to outside of work so that I, I'm just like giving there that when yeah. I, can, yeah, we're the same person. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. That's uh when I can just hang out with someone or spend time with people and it's hard because I also want to be like, Oh, I can be there for you too. But just just to spend time with someone that it's like, they can just be there for me. Um, And I can kind of just like turn that off and be supported. So I'm not sure exactly what that looks like if we're not in person full time. Yeah. I do really love relationships of people that really recharges me. So maybe that's something personally that I'd love to chat with people when we're in person again. Um, and and is What far- about for
5: your program, Meg?
4: For my program, um, it's hard because I'm also a person who like I hate asking for money, but with starfish I ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> with starfish, um we buy all of the items um, in bulk. And because of that, like people will ask say, like, oh, can I donate food to Starfish? And we follow a very specific menu just to ensure that every child's getting the same food, the same quality. Um, so we're not able to take donated food, but we purchase it at a discounted cost. So the best thing, if you wanted to support Starfish, the best thing is um, financial, um, and then also yeah, prayer, and what's cool is that Starfish, um, how it works is every week we have 13 churches that um, take um, the food from Save on Foods that we order, pack it at their church or wherever, and deliver it to three or four um schools which is cool because I've got to connect with all of these people from all these churches across our city and yeah. um, so I'm like in the back of my head I'm like hmm, maybe one day if the program keeps growing and we need more churches involved maybe mm-hmm. we could get the bridge um involved cool. it's not a space right now but maybe down the road that's something that yeah be interested in doing so we I can know. open that
2: door then <laughs> And is is it right? There's a thing in the comments here. It's is it is sixty-three dollars a month what kind of will will sponsor a, a child for a month or a family so, for a month? Yeah,
4: so the total cost per child per full school year is six hundred dollars and that okay. breaks down to about eighteen dollars or so a week. Okay. Uh, so I don't know. Math is, does that equal 60? <laughs> Whatever it is. Close. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's like, it's, yeah, I do the menus and it averages out to between 18 to $20. Okay.
2: Per Maybe pack. a little closer to $80 a month, but even yeah. still, I'm hearing you say like us giving $20 is going to go way further than me buying $20 of groceries and hoping yeah. that helps. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm also fact- hearing that, um, when we see you, for us to just create a generous space to say how you're doing and to be able to listen without fixing, or just just to just to be really good listeners and compassionate yeah. listeners is something that's refueling for you.
4: Yes, but also to be completely honest and transparent about myself is that you'll probably be like, "How are you?" and I'll be like spiraling, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's <laughs> fine." So I'm trying to oh, learn really? to not. Do that. I think I'm not he's,
5: like that. <laughs>
2: <He's>
5: like, <laughs> <laughs> I've been through it all.
2: <laughs> Wisdom. All right, yeah. so the last question yeah. I wanted to ask, um, just given the, the demographic and the guests that you serve, I wondered if there was maybe a bias or a prejudice or a way of thinking about the people that you serve that you could disrupt for us, that would maybe discomfort us, you know, yeah. um, and I just mean us like generally, I don't mean specifically, but what is a prejudice that you would love to see disrupted about the people you serve and the work that you do?
5: Well, how do you wanna go? Well, I was just thinking, uh, right uh, when I was looking through the questions that you sent us, Karina, um, I've come through, I've been at the agency, I'm in my 30th year now, But at the food bank for 11, and uh, I've been exposed to way more since I've been at the food bank. So um, I've heard these comments personally. Um, People have brought this upon themselves. Uh, Immigrants should go back to their own country. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are being a burden on the system and people don't deserve to be helped. Those are all, I've heard those personally. And you think, you've gotta be kidding me. Um, And yet this has been prevalent, not so much now because there, I would say that there's been been pressure to be more politically correct. But I think the underlying tones are still there and beliefs. Um, I have, One of the first experiences I ever had when I first came to the food bank, uh, this uh, lady pulls up in a Mercedes and she had a a yellow two-piece suit on, just beautifully dressed. Uh, Hair was immaculate, lovely makeup. And I thought, oh, this lady's coming to donate. And then she lined up for food. And I thought, oh, um, she's in the wrong spot. And immediately I'm thinking, you 've got to be kidding me, you are you are trying to get food. look at the car you 're driving. look how you dressed and Then I heard the story. this woman uh, who had much husband had left with somebody else, had taken all the the money out of the bank accounts, left her with nothing. There was no food. She had no family around three children she didn 't know what to do and i I remember that was a paradigm shift for me. That was a couple of weeks into starting at the food bank. And that changed how I looked from that point on, that just because a person looks like they have it together, um, this wasn't the truth in this situation. And the courage of this woman and how desperate she was to come to the food bank knowing what she had had to where she was uh brought me to tears yeah so and so that has been uh, you know that's one of many stories that we've heard and the 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 individuals and and families that come to us
2: wow thank you that and then I heard the story like if that isn't an invitation to compassion yeah you know I don't I don't know I think um I'm so grateful that you just shared with us this morning, and it—it it just, you know, when we don't have compassion for ourselves, it's hard to have compassion for other people, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I just really hear you inviting us to challenge those narratives in us whenever, like, you know, like there, what it, what in us thinks it's not getting its need met, so that we would want to not meet someone else's need, and and then I just also hear all the complicated. <laughs> interrelated pieces that compassion work does so I just thank you for being honest and vulnerable about how that plays out for you um I think I would if it's okay with you I'd love to open up Q&R um so if people want to ask specific questions about food bank and archway or sermon stuff um I would want to do that so we'll officially I think end. Recording time. Uh, okay, so Jesus, thank you for mm-hmm. Megan. Thank you for Hugh. Thank you for the work that they do. Um, just their compassion forward hearts. Thank you that you've equipped them with boatloads of compassion to give, and I pray that you will also fill them and um, lead them in in paths of life to be refueled in the compassion work that they do. And I also think of all the guests that they serve and the people that they are um, first responders to when it comes to their needs. And I just ask for your blessing for them and um, for just really um, great support from the community that that you would lead people to to participate with their compassion ministries. So we thank you for the work they're doing. We thank you for the lives that are being helped. And we thank you that you are in the midst of all of that work. Amen.